Welcome to the program. It is Wednesday. It's a busy Wednesday. We're going to begin with the breaking news out of Kansas City, Missouri tonight. It was supposed to be such a celebration. This is what happens after the Super Bowl. The victors get a parade and the people of the city get to come out and celebrate their football heroes. Instead, that city is in turmoil after a gunman or gunmen. We are not sure even at this late hour how many shooters there might have been. When shots fired amidst that massive crowd, upwards of a million people, not only lining a parade route, but also downtown in Kansas City. Not one of the Kansas City Chiefs or any of the VIPs was hit in the hail of bullets, but a lot of other people were, 22 other people. I'm really sorry to say 11 kids were shot. And of course, why wouldn't they? Right? Why wouldn't kids be shot at a parade like this? They were given the day off school so that they could come to celebrate their football team and the Super Bowl win. Instead, 11 kids shot. Even more of them were hurt, sent to the hospital with all kinds of other injuries because what happens when bullets ring out in a crowd of a million people? There's a stampede, there's mayhem. Kids get separated, they get trampled. People get trampled. One woman was killed. And there are several others in critical condition, so I can't tell you what the actual death toll is at this early hour. I can tell you this. It could have been so much worse. But for the unbelievable bravery of a hero who decided to run towards the gunfire and tackle an alleged gunman. That man is going to be on the air with me live tonight. So is his wife and his daughter. Look at this. This is what they did when everyone was running away. That's what he did. He took the guy down. Is it the guy? At this point, there is so much being held close to the vest, but also police themselves seem to be at a loss for what happened. All they're saying at this point is that they don't think that it was terrorism. It's awfully early to be saying that. Who else brings out guns at a Super Bowl parade? As we wait for some of the breaking details to be released, and we're hoping within the next few minutes we'll get some more details. Certainly throughout the hour, we've got a live feed going, so I may have to break into programming at some point just to bring you updates on this. We are assuming multiple people were arrested. It's been said that several gunmen were arrested. At this point, all we know of is one gun recovered. We've seen images of a very long gun, looked like an AR, a little hard to tell. It's just sort of an unbelievable story. Here we were thinking we'd be celebrating all week long after one of America's favorite pastimes. There's 120 million of us decided to watch that game on Sunday. It's the largest TV audience since the moon landing. How many million of us are now watching this? We're going to talk to that hero and his family in just a moment. We also have a live report from the actual crime scene because right now, if you can imagine, it's only been a few hours And when you have a million people running for their lives, there's a lot of stuff that's left behind. People leave everything, purses, keys, strollers, backpacks, shoes, clothing, everything. And amidst those belongings, guess what? Something might belong to the killers, right? So it is the biggest crime scene that the Kansas City police are probably ever gonna process unless they get a 9-11. We're going to take you right into the middle of it and show you what is there right now, the remnants of it all, and how they're processing something that's as big as a downtown. Also, something big tonight 
unrelated to the shooting, but but really earth-shattering to one of America's other favorite pastimes, and that is professional wrestling. And the WWE, there's been reverberations. You've been seeing it. You've been hearing it. It started with a lawsuit, and the ripple effect is getting bigger and bigger, and now it looks like a repeated body slam because tonight, Jake the Snake, Jake the Snake Roberts is speaking out. They don't get any bigger than Jake the Snake. And when you hear what he's saying, you might realize how more and more of these superstar celebrities are going to come out against Vince McMahon. I mean, honest to God, I don't know a whole lot about wrestling, but I can tell you this. It really looks like Vince McMahon is on the ropes tonight. Jake the Snake. Not only that, there is another incident. You may not have heard of it, but it is serious and it is ugly and it is getting uglier. And that is an alleged rape that happened to a female wrestler in Kuwait while they were entertaining the troops. That wrestler says that she told Vince McMahon, she told the board, she looked for help, she needed help. Raped while on an entertainment tour, she says. And they said, keep your mouth shut. These are the allegations she made. And I wish I could talk to her, but she took her life. Not before she told her friend everything. And tonight that friend is with me live. So let's get started with some of the the big breaking news. Um, It is, uh, it's just, here we go again, right? What was supposed to be a triumphant Super Bowl victory party. It turned into a horror scene, riddled with gunfire, mass casualties, death. Happening in Kansas City, Missouri, home of the Super Bowl champions, the Chiefs. The mayor was there. The governors of Missouri and Kansas were there. And an estimated one million excited NFL fans had lined the parade route and were packed together outside of the city's Union Station when towards the end of the big celebration, shots rang out. I'm going to show you some video. It is breathtaking. And I want you to turn your attention to the left-hand side of your screen. You're going to see what happened amid that crowd when the bullets started flying. Take a look. Just unbelievable to see what happened there. Most of them didn't even know what that was. May have thought it was fireworks, because that's usually what we hear. I don't even think breathtaking explains it. Look at it again. I've looked at this video now over 10 times. Just looking for clues. I'm looking to see where did it start? Who did it? How many people fell? How many people tripped? How many people were hurt running? How many people have no idea what's going on at this point, but are soon to find out? It's a hail of bullets. It's a scattering of a crowd. That last report I mentioned before, 22 people were hit with those bullets. And one of those people has died just a short time ago. News Nation confirmed that person's name. Um, Her family and her workplace are confirming it as well. Lisa Lopez Galvin. Lisa Lopez Galvin. She died today. Uh, Her name is actually well known in Kansas City because she was a popular DJ at the radio station KKFI. She was also a mother with two children. She reportedly died today while she was in surgery. She was shot in the abdomen. Officials say at least nine of the people who were shot were very little people. They were children. We just heard from the hospital officials that the kids are between the ages of 6 and 15 years old. All of them, thank God, are fully expected to recover. But the questions that we don't have answers to yet, who did this? Why did they do this? Who would open fire in a crowd of NFL fans? 
And by the way, in front of 800 police officers who had been deployed to make sure that all of those people were safe. For his part, here is the chief of police today. We do have three persons detained and under investigation for today's incident. We are working to determine if one of the three are, are the one that was in that video uh, where, where fans assisted police. Um, our investigators are working with all of the surviving victims to connect them with loved ones. Six. Five. So that's what we know. Three people in custody, no names yet, no motive yet, no explanation yet as to why someone would open fire on a massive crowd of people who were just there to celebrate. We've got some new pictures in. Two young men being placed in handcuffs shortly after the shooting. This video was taken by someone who was in the crowd. Uh, one man in a yellow shirt. It says number 15 on it, I believe. If you look closely, it's hard to tell. Um, and then the other one in a gray hoodie on the left. No details yet on who these people are or what their involvement may or may not have been in the gunfire at this point. Oftentimes when there is this fog of war, a lot of people get detained until people know when it's safe and they can get some answers. A lot of witnesses out there too, but a lot of witnesses who were running, trying to get away. Whoever it was who opened fire, were they intentionally trying to just ruin a celebration, a Super Bowl celebration? Did a fight maybe break out between some of the revelers? Was someone deliberately targeted? Because there were a lot of VIPs in that crowd. We don't have answers to any of these questions right now, but one person is dead, 22 others, including kids, are hurt. Forever changed, in fact, because of this senseless shooting. And usually when gunfire rings out, people run as fast and as far away as they can. In a moment, we're going to speak to Paul Contreras, who ran towards it. He decided when he heard gunfire in Kansas City to do something about it. At grave risk to himself, he probably saved a lot of people's lives when he did that. He was there to cheer on the chiefs, but instead he found himself tackling an alleged gunman and holding that man down until the police arrived. I'm going to speak to him in just a moment. As you can imagine, it's been pretty chaotic. He's been reunited with his family. We're getting the whole family together. We're getting them wired up and mic'd up. Also, Alex Capriello hit the road as quickly as he heard these bullets ring out. I think he just arrived at the actual sort of the, 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 the center of where this all happened. Tell me where you are and what you've seen since you got there, Alex. Yeah, this is Union Station, where the stage was set for the Kansas City Chiefs players and coaches to actually greet this crowd of thousands of fans that literally came out here to celebrate with their team. And I'm telling you, Ashley, I only arrived about half an hour ago, and the visuals that you come across when you come here, it really just speaks so much. It, it tells a whole story about what that moment was like. I want to point out just a few of them to you. First and foremost, just showing how quickly... People had to move. We have lawn chairs. People that had camped out here literally for days to get the best seat possible, all of a sudden just dropping everything and moving on. Look at this, Ashley. A little girl's shoe right here on the sidewalk speaks volumes about the families that were panicking to get their children out of here. We do know that several of those children 
are among those injured. Now that's Union Station right there in the back. This is the beautiful historic Union Station. That's the stage right in front of it where those Kansas City Chiefs players were actually celebrating and greeting and speaking to their fans. But if you look in the distance over towards that bright yellow light, that's the parking garage of Union Station. And right in front of that, that's where we see that video of that shooting taking place. The video that you just showed moments ago where we see all of those people scatter in an instant that's where that actual moment took place. We did see other video, of course, where police officers actually stormed inside of Union Station 2. I spoke to a law enforcement uh, here on the scene. They tell me that there was just chaos from the law enforcement and police perspective because they heard so many shots. They didn't know exactly where to go at first. Despite there being 800 police officers here on scene, they're all trying to do something or they're all trying to locate a shooter. And it was pandemonium for everyone, especially with those families trying to get out of the way. What I can tell you about tonight, this is still a closed off scene. There is still police presence. The people that you see back there, that's actual, uh, you know, stage managers. They're still breaking that down. The police are allowing the stage crews to actually get their belongings out here. But everything else is sealed off for the entire public. It's going to stay that way until at least tomorrow. I'm told that they're going to be bringing drones out and 3D scanners first thing in the morning as soon as daylight comes up. So that way they can get a full idea of the scope of where the actual crime scene was. But for now, it's completely off limits, especially to the people that came here, because we know that a lot of stuff has been left behind. But for right now, they will not be able to get it. Alex, that is, I mean, it's a carbon copy. Every time there's a mass shooting like this, it is a carbon copy. The people run like hell, literally run for their lives and drop everything. And what happens is it becomes a massive crime scene. Everything has to be documented. Every shell casing has to be located and marked. It all has to be photographed. This, I mean, look at the size of this crime scene. Literally every aspect of what's on your screen right now yeah, will end up being a crime scene. Are you seeing the evidence of the markings, the tent poles they put up with the numbers when they find something of significance that needs to be photographed for potentially any kind of criminal prosecution that we may have in the future? No, I will tell you that's on the other side of Union Station. We're behind a barricade where we are allowed to be, uh, but it is completely closed off to us and to everyone else because there is likely so much evidence there that they still need to go through. There's probably blood and DNA and other, uh, you know, pieces of evidence that they need to actually collect. And that's a part of the reason why they're waiting until the daylight to continue to have those sort of operations, those next level technologies that they can bring out, those drones that they can deploy, the 3D scanners, which will actually sit on a tripod and do a whole 360 look so they can get the full crime scene in perspective. Super helpful, as you know, for future prosecution if it ever goes to trial. That's actual footage that they can actually show. But again, that crime scene is all the way over there. Any sort of law enforcement activity or evidence collection is out of my sight right now. But based on what I'm hearing from law enforcement, it is still very much an active scene for them to actually go ahead and investigate. We do know, we do know that federal law enforcement was here on the scene, FBI and ATF, so surely they're helping out in any way that they can. But really, it's going to be uh, at least another day before they actually clear this out and allow people to come in and get their stuff. I recall the, the shooting in Las Vegas where um, more than 50 people were killed. The, the remnants of everybody's 
night of enjoyment um, stayed as a preserved crime scene for days. And I remember seeing the bags and the lawn chairs and the shoes and, and literally the, you know, the evidence of terror as people run. Uh, just quickly, I wanted to ask you about a family reunification center because with a million people, I can only imagine a lot of people got separated and with that many kids who were shot, parents and you know, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, everyone would be trying to find each other. Is there some sort of center that they've set up at this point for people to right. get back together with their loved ones and find out if they're safe or not safe? Yeah, earlier today we heard that there was at least seven reunification centers that were uh, set up at some point throughout the day. I've heard that several of them have closed. We did hear from Mercy Children's, which is literally just a few blocks from here, that they had families literally reuniting with each other at the hospital. And one thing that I just recently saw that KCPD put out was, look, if you need help, if you are trying to find your loved one, just go to any officer. There are hundreds of them still out here and let them know because whether or not you can actually make it to a reunification center, I've found that people are coming up here because their cars are back there. They can't even drive to where a reunification center might be. So they said, find a police officer, tell them that you need help, and we're going to get you the help that you need. Speaking of that children's hospital, um, listening to the hospital administration talk about their process today was really unbelievable because they prepare for this, right, a mass casualty incident. And they have children that need uh, their own care or own surgeries, uh, but they literally had to put that all to the side and focus on this mass casualty incident. These children that are all of a sudden are feeding in here. We heard from one father who said that his daughter had shrapnel in her body from just everything that happened here today, all the gunfire and every, all the chaos that was coming through. So really, it was a all-out effort from both law enforcement and medical personnel treating everyone that they could, reuniting families as well in the meantime. So Alex, let me just ask our control room for a moment. Um, I know that we've been collecting some interviews from those who've been treating the wounded. Uh, there's, a, there's a nurse, I think the chief nursing officer at Children's Mercy Hospital who has, um, has reported into us. Let me ask the right. control room if they have that tape available. I think we also have uh, some uh, material from one of the people who tackled the shooter. So let me just find out Let's let's play the let's play the interview right now with the um, the chief nursing officer at Children's Mercy Hospital, where so many of those kids uh, were, were taken. Have a listen to this. You know, I think that um, it's something that unfortunately we all have to prepare for. Um, Why well, I said this earlier, the staff did a, an amazing job, but we will have to do some wellness initiatives and recovery with our staff. Uh, this is nothing that you ever want to have happen, and you um, especially don't want it to happen in a situation where it is a mass casualty type of situation. You don't know how many you're going to get, what the response is going to be from trying to reunite people who might have gotten separated. And so while our staff all went into action, um, they have a lot of questions and need some help, too. I do appreciate the outpouring of support that we've had from all of you and from the community to ask about our staff and to check in on what you can do to help us. That will be important. And I think it's important that we remember all healthcare staff in the community right now, um, as well as law enforcement and everybody else that responded to an extremely unfortunate circumstance today. So, Alex, as we wait to hear any updates um, regarding the, the wounded, the critical, and, and the injured, I also want to just play for our audience, if I can. I know that while you were traveling, we were out collecting these interviews from witnesses, and, and we came across uh, Casey and Trey Filter. Um, Trey Filter tackled 
a gunman, like literally ran towards the gunfire and tackled a gunman. And he appeared um, on News Nation uh, with his wife, Casey, to talk about that moment. I want to play that tape. Take a look. Thank you so much for what you decided to do today. It could have made such a big difference. How are you feeling about everything? Well, <clears throat> thanks for having us on. Uh, we just we just got home. In fact, um, we we live in Wichita. Uh, we've been lifelong fans of the Chiefs, and um, we went up to the parade today and as a for a second time. And um, you know, we are just now arriving back after a three hour drive uh, after all this. So yeah, we're just kind of wrapping in around yet, and finding out. Yeah, right, well, that's the right way to look at it. Casey, has it sunk in yet? What your husband uh, decided to do and what you decided to do? Oh, not really. Not yet. <laughs> um, I just, I think we just did what, you know, like a fight or flight type of deal. And we just did what we felt we needed to do in that moment. I don't think we could have uh, just walked away being right there like that. So. Well, there would have been nothing wrong with that, Casey. Right. I mean, there were, and, and that's why most of the people that the guy was running by either weren't aware or didn't dare to do what you did. And there's no judgment attached to that. The kids, your kids were with you. Are they OK? Yeah. How are they handling this? Um, they're pretty excited. I mean, they're, we're, we're uh, on the way home. We we're realizing how close we actually, um, you know, came to being involved in the initial shooting, um, you know, and then of course we, we couldn't have gotten much closer to the, the gun there. So, um, it's just really a lot to, to process and, and to be grateful for. They're pretty well. proud of their dad. That's pretty much all I can say about the boys. They're really proud. Just incredible bravery. Um, and he's not the only one. Paul Contreras also was part of that tackle. And he and his wife, Tony, are trying to get uh, some electronic bugaboos worked out. And they're going to join us on this program. Our Alex Capriello is going to stay live on that location as new information comes into us. But in the meantime, we're also covering this other breaking story. And it is what is going on with the WWE because it is cratering, it seems. Think about it. Jake the Snake Roberts. He is far and away one of the most famous wrestlers of all time. And tonight he is weighing in on his former boss. And it does not look good for Vince McMahon. And there's another scandal, one you may not have heard about. Allegedly because the WWE and Vince McMahon covered it up. My next guest believes that cover-up may have cost her best friend her life. And that's next. allegations now facing Vince McMahon and the WWE are a lot of things. They're exhaustive, they're explicit, they're repulsive, just to name three, but surprising? Not to Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake Roberts is one of the most famous wrestlers of all time and the latest to break his silence on his former boss. I want to play for you the comments that he made on his very own podcast called The Snake Pit. It was uh, very disgusting, but it doesn't surprise me. Wow. That, that bothers me. For me to be able to say that, that doesn't surprise me leaves me thinking, man, 
this is pretty disgusting you're looking at here. And it doesn't even, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me. You know, I, I believe the man is is obviously partially insane. He's uh, he's 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 drunk with power. He has been for a long time. You know, and what, remember when they were doing the kiss your ass thing? Mm. You know, that, that was pretty. Uh, to to see and read that and, and not be surprised by it makes me shake my head, man. Just uh, so disgusting. And uh, Christ, man. What, what, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Partially insane. It's pretty strong. And other wrestling executives are speaking out, too, in a way. Uh, Tony Khan is the founder and co-owner of a new WWE rival. And when asked about the lawsuit by a former WWE staffer, he skipped the opportunity to pile on. And instead, he said this. It is a great question. I can't comment on the terrible allegations against the WWE right now. I think that's something people are paying a lot of attention to right now, with good reason. For us, first and foremost, is trying to create a safe locker room environment for everybody, women and men. Many of AEW's wrestlers used to wrestle for the WWE and for Vince McMahon, and a few of them worked with a famous wrestler named Ashley Massaro. Massaro joined the WWE back in 2005 after winning a diva search, and almost immediately she became a superstar. Ashley Massaro wrestled some of the biggest names, even getting a championship match at WrestleMania. And in 2007, she made the cover of Playboy magazine. But one year before that, in 2006, Ashley took part in a WWE trip to Kuwait. And the purpose was to entertain the troops over there. And it was in Kuwait that she said something terrible happened to her. She said she was drugged and raped by multiple U.S. servicemen. And she said she reported that rape to Vince McMahon and to other WWE executives. But Massaro said they told her to keep it quiet to protect the company's relationship with the military. Ashley Massaro was then released from her contract in 2008. And in 2019, Ashley Massaro took her own life. After that, her rape allegations went public in a lawsuit against the WWE, and the company released a statement which reads in part, at no time was Vince McMahon or the management of WWE ever informed by Ashley Massaro or anybody else that she had been sexually assaulted, drugged, raped, or sodomized by a military doctor with a nurse standing guard while on a goodwill tour to U.S. military bases in Kuwait. And that's basically where things stood up until last month when Janelle Grant filed her lawsuit. Ashley Massaro's allegations resurfaced. And the attorney 
for John Laurinaitis, one of the WWE executives who was also named in Janelle's lawsuit. That attorney released this statement about Ashley's story. Quote, Johnny, like most upper-level management, at some time became aware of Ashley's allegations and ensured all proper WWE protocols were followed, including privacy for the alleged victim. Well, that is extremely different from the WWE's first statement, the statement that suggested the company didn't know anything, knew nothing at all. Instead, it is apparent confirmation that Ashley Massaro did tell her bosses about the WWE, or, or the bosses at the WWE, about that alleged rape. She also allegedly told her best friend. And that friend is live with me for an exclusive interview right after this short break. In 2006, WWE superstar Ashley Massaro was allegedly drugged and raped by multiple U.S. servicemen while on a trip to Kuwait. She claimed that she told Vince McMahon and other executives at the WWE, but that they covered it up and asked her to as well. In 2019, she took her own life, but her best friend, Kara Papia, says that Massaro told her all about the allegations back then and the alleged cover-up. And Kara joins me now for this exclusive interview. Kara, thank you for coming in. Thanks I know this is, this is just a brutal topic for you. I know it's very emotional for you, having lost your best friend. Can you talk to me a little bit about the conversations that you had with Ashley when she came back from Kuwait? Sure. Um, the, the night Ashley got back uh, home for the first time, back to Long Island, uh, she went home, had dinner with her family, and uh, spent a little time with them, and then she uh, was planning to come to my house. And uh, she ended up staying the night, and she spent about eight hours with her head on my lap in tears, telling me what happened to her in Kuwait, and um, just letting it all out. And that was the first time that I heard uh, what happened to her, but uh, many times after that throughout the years. Tell me what she said, like, as best you can, detail for me what she could recall actually happened to her. Okay, so um, what happened was that uh, she originally, they, they thought maybe she drank bad water overseas, and it made her sick. So she was brought to, brought to the infirmary, and um, the, the first thing she remembers happening is waking up in that infirmary, and being hooked up to IVs, and um, there were uh, soldiers there uh, singing happy birthday. And uh, she said a, a gentleman in uh, a white coat that appeared to be a doctor, but she didn't believe he actually was a doctor, um, walked over to her, and he administered some more medication. And the next thing she remembered after that was waking up in that small closet-sized room where there was a woman uh, at the door and that man in the white coat had been sexually assaulting her. Did she, um, did she recall the other people who had been in the room before still being there? Was it a gang situation, um, a single rape with the, with the woman allegedly at the door? It, what happened was is it was the, um, the one, the, the guy in the white coat and the woman basically manning the door. Um, and uh, when he was done doing what he was doing, the woman 
would throw a, a blanket on top of her or a sheet on top of her. And he exited the room and um, she thought it was over. But then another gentleman would answer the room a few minutes later. Does she know how many times that happened? How many other people? She doesn't. She just knows that it was, it was multiple. It was at least, I think she recalled at least two or three times that, they, that this woman would throw the blanket on her and a, a new face would walk in, but she was in and out of consciousness, um, trying desperately to stay awake and move her limbs, and she couldn't. As I, as I read the account, it seemed as though she was um, sort of semi-conscious mm-hmm. and paralyzed, meaning she Absolutely. knew what was happening but couldn't scream, couldn't move, Absolutely. which is often a state um, right. of, of anesthesiology. You right, know. that's um, right. Um, I, I have my opinions on that as well. So um, when Ashley first started uh, working for the WWE, she told me uh, in the locker rooms, it was, it was like they handed out Soma like it was candy. Soma? Soma. It's a muscle relaxer. Okay. So it was what they would give the wrestlers when they were injured because there was no not wrestling. Sure. You had a broken arm. You're, you take a Soma, you wrestle. So um, at that point, she had become addicted to Soma. So she was already in this state. Um, and so whatever they administered to her rendered her helpless. Her body was useless to her, but her mind was there, and she, she, she saw what was happening. And she said to you she was raped and sodomized, sodomized in yes. that room That's multiple right. times. Uh-huh. Ultimately, it's just hard to believe that she says the, that a, a WWE executive carried her out of that That's room right. and yes. to her hotel room? That's right, yes. Yeah, what he wrapped next? a blanket around her. He wrapped a blanket around her and carried her out. Because uh, she still, when he came and, and uh, got her, she was still limp. She still didn't, wasn't able to move her body. On her own. Right. It, it, it sort of defies uh, belief, but, but she said to you, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. she said to you that they left her, mm-hmm. not only left her in that hotel room, they left her in, in Kuwait, Kuwait alone. alone. <laughs> yeah. How mm-hmm. did she get back? She was, uh, they got her flight. <laughs> Days after, everyone was already home. She was left alone because they had to go back to work. Vince wanted them back in the USA because they had work to do. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Um, she, says, she said to you that she told the WWE. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Specifically, who did she tell? Um, well, the, the gentleman who, who wraps her in the blankets, he, he was an executive for the company. So... You know, at the scene, you have an executive. Um, as soon as she got back to the States, I mean, she had the phone calls while she was in Kuwait. I mean, it, it was out from the beginning, right after it happened. As soon as she was able to to, to talk on the phone did, and get did, told, it, did it go right to the top? Oh, Vince right McMahon. to the top. Right to the top. She um, spoke with Vince McMahon. She spoke with Vince McMahon many times. Vince had his daughter. Stephanie McMahon? Take his place because she was a female, a woman, and it, he, to make Ashley comfortable, and and they they just they just played with her. They played with her because everything that Stephanie had made her feel comfortable, and safe about. As soon as they walked into this boardroom meeting, Ashley was on her own completely, so, and she was threatened, and, and and there was no there was no compassion, there was no sympathy, there was there was nothing. So, so Ashley Massaro, your best friend, told you that she went into a boardroom. Yeah, absolutely. With the WWE, mm-hmm. where Stephanie McMahon, yes. Vince McMahon, that's and right. other executives were seated. The entire yes. And that's where she was told mm-hmm. this has to stay under wraps. That is right. 
and she had right before she walked into that boardroom, she talked to the um, the locker room uh, doctor who was aware of everything, and he was actually very sympathetic to her, but he had no 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 pull. Um, so he he gave her the advice that he could, and. Um, but that was it. You heard me reading the, the statement from the WWE mm-hmm. earlier, which is effectively, at no time did we hear anything <laughs> about these allegations mm-hmm. about a, a doctor, a nurse, mm-hmm. a, a, an assault in Kuwait. We knew nothing about this. And then after the Janelle Grant lawsuit, mm-hmm. one of the men who's named as an abuser of Janelle Grant mm-hmm. is John Laurinaitis, another executive at WWE. Right. And his lawyer is acknowledging that John Laurinaitis did know. I mean, when you heard that, it's been years since Ashley took her life. When you heard John Laurinaitis' lawyer acknowledge that that Ashley had told them, that the WWE was not telling the truth, Mm -hmm. what was your reaction? It's about time somebody has a conscience, (laughs) because there was never a single moment of time that I didn't believe a word that Ashley told me, so... So, if you had an opportunity mm-hmm. to say something to Vince McMahon, <laughs> what would it be? Well, that's the question I hadn't thought about. Um, shame on you. Like, how do you look at yourself? How do you look at the mirror? I mean, I, obviously he's got problems, you know. He's, obviously he's a sexual deviant, you know. He, he needs help. He's, he's not well. So, uh, the, the problem is, is that people with that kind of... Uh, sickness and, and mindset and, and power are, why do they why do they thrive for so long why, why doesn't anybody stand up why are there so many people in that company aware of what's going on to hold these women women who, who, who keep committing suicide year after year after year and nobody stands up and says anything no one tries to protect these young women why because it's not just Vince it's the whole freaking company do you think that what happened um, to Ashley, as she recounted to you, do you think that contributed to her suicide? Uh, 99%. Absolutely. Kara Papia, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you thank taking you for the having time and, and having the courage. I know this has taken a long time for you to muster the courage and the energy and the emotion to be able to tell this story. So I just do want to tell you, I appreciate you doing this. It's very brave. I also do have to give a disclaimer because the WWE says that this didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, They haven't been found uh, guilty or liable in a court of law at this point. These are allegations that that were made. It is is pile I mean, it is a pile-on, I'll tell you, because there is a lot out there. Um, But again, they they have their side of the story as well. Thank you for this. Oh, you're very welcome. Kara Papia joining us. When we come back after the break, um, I told you earlier that Paul Contreras and Tony Contreras are thanking their lucky stars tonight that they're alive and they weren't shot at the Kansas City celebration. Um, Probably because Paul ran towards the bullets and tackled an alleged shooter as his wife looked on and their daughter filmed what you're looking at right now. That daughter, Alyssa Marsh Contreras, live after the break. Because Paul Contreras ran towards the gunfire in Kansas City today and tackled the alleged gunman right there on your screen. Watch it happen. That's Paul taking an alleged gunman down while everyone else is running for the hills and, and trying to get away and save, save their lives. 
Um, Alyssa Marsh Contreras, thank you for being on live with me tonight. I just want to ask you, tell me what you saw, what you heard. I know you videotaped. Take me to the incident and tell me what you saw. I mean, it all started off as a celebration. You know, it was fun. Everybody was in good spirits. Everybody was happy to be, you know, celebrating that two-peat by the Chiefs. Um, soon as, you know, speeches and the celebration was all done, um, everybody just kind of headed back towards their cars when probably 30 seconds to a minute later as we're walking towards our car, we hear probably eight to ten pops just pop, 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 pop. And like I said, everybody was leaving a big celebration. I think everybody just kind of assumed it was firecrackers, fireworks, or some sort until seconds later we see the offenders running. We see multiple cops just chasing them. We continue to walk our same path to get over the bridge. As soon as we meet the sidewalk to get to the bridge, we, we're at a stopping point. It's kind of barricaded off to where we later found out the, one of the suspects had already been apprehended. And then soon enough, um, the second offender must have just turned around and started running because I assume he, he had nowhere to go. Everybody crowd just started running back towards my way. My older sister, my younger sister, they disperse and run to find safety. Soon as I turned around to see where my dad was, next thing I know is, soon as I turn, he's jumping on the offender's back, pushing him to the ground, along with another good Samaritan who jumped on his back to help him push him down. As all this was going on, you see this gun drop out of this man's pocket. And you see another lady come and, you know, set it aside. I was just there to obviously get video and make sure my dad and everything and all his belongings were kept up and okay. So, Alyssa, you said the gun fell out of his pocket. Was it, a, was it a handgun that fell out of his pocket? From what, it didn't look like a handgun. From what I've heard from multiple people, they say it looked like a sawed-off shotgun. From and what I saw, it was probably a foot long. And even this way, it was, it was very long. Did you hear the, um, the person who your dad tackled say anything? Did he... Was, what, do you, what did you see and what did you hear from that um, alleged gunman? As close as I was, I don't think he said a word. Um, for the most part, my dad and this other good Samaritan just were basically focused on, you know, keeping this guy down. He had one weapon and who knew if he had another one. Um, so they just kept him down. Um, his jacket was covering him from what, as close as I was, I never heard him say anything. And were your, your dad and the other um, Good Samaritan, were they saying anything to this offender? Um, was, he, was he on his stomach? Did they, did, tell me what it looked like when they were able to pin him down. Yeah, so from the video, you can kind of tell the first Good Samaritan, he, it looks like he tried to tackle him and he, the guy kind of moved out of his way. Um, then my dad, you see him come in immediately and take him to the ground. He rolls over on top of him and then is able to get his body, the offender's body, face down, pushing, you know, his head to the ground and trying to maintain his upper body as this, guy, as this first good Samaritan comes over and takes over his lower part of his body. Um, but like I said, I never heard anything as close as I was from picking up my dad's phone out of his pocket, his hat and glasses. I never heard this um, offender say anything. What did he look like? Can you give me any sort of description? Would you be able to ID him if you, if you needed to? Oh, yeah, I think I would be able to. He did look um, fairly young, I would say, um, upper teens maybe. 
Um, but yeah, he had on what looked like a worker's jacket, you know, just like a gold jacket along with, um, some white, whether it's a shirt or hoodie along with, um, what looked like to be sweats. And was he black, white, Hispanic? What could you tell? He was African-American male. Did you see anybody else that he was running with? And did you get a, a look at anybody else who you think were also gunmen? Yes. The first, um, the first man we saw running, he was in an all black jumpsuit where we later found out as we left the scene and are walking over the bridge, trying to walk on the sidewalk, we were forced to jump over the barricade to continue walking over the bridge on the street. And yes, he was in an all-black jumpsuit, the first offender they caught. And he was um, sitting down handcuffed on the bridge, which I think forced the second offender to run back towards the crowd. And were you able to give all these details to the police? Have you been able to debrief with them about everything you saw? We were not. Um, I don't know if the cops' instincts were to just kind of clear the area and make sure, you know, everybody was safe and whoever needed to be tended to, like the victims, you know, they were able to get to where they needed to go, which is understandable. But no, we have not been in contact with any type of police or, police or investigators. It's, a, it's, a, it's imperative. Uh, you know, this is odd for me during a live interview to tell you, you've, you've got to call them, you've got to let them know. We'll do the same. Um, they're going to need yeah. your eyewitness account. I mean, you are an absolute yeah. close, close part of this, and there is likely a possibility of a, of a prosecution, of a, of a murder yeah. prosecution in, in all of this. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, nothing. It's just, you know, it's just so crazy to see something like this. You expect something like this to always happen, you know so far away from you and, you know, to see it on the news, but for it to be just a couple yards, a couple feet away, it's, it's very scary. You know, life has come like this, especially with guns. Can I ask you, how is your, your dad? And, and while you're at it, how's your mom? Because I understand she was right there seeing all of this, right? So my mom was actually not able to come. It was my dad who brought down me, my older sister, along with my younger sister, and so in all that moment, when all the chaos broke out, my older sister immediately ran, my younger sister immediately ran when she seen everybody running. It turned into kind of that fight or flight. And she knew, oh, a lot of people are running. I have to join the group and continue to run. To where she, you know, ducked down behind a barricade to where my older sister came over to me and, you know, I just told her, go find Ava, go find Ava, you know. And I didn't want to leave my dad's side because who knew, like I said, this guy could have had another weapon. Of course. He could have had another buddy coming from behind. Alyssa, the danger. So, you know, I, I just mean, wanted to make sure he was okay. The danger was profound. I only have about 10 seconds left. Is your dad yeah. okay? Yes, dad is okay. You know, just very high adrenaline. I think we're just all still very much in shock. Alicia, uh, Alyssa Marsh Contreras, thank you so much for doing this and telling us your story. Please call the police and let them know what you've yes. seen and, and give them your video as well. And um, we, we'd like to keep in contact with you. Please tell your dad what a hero he is. And thank you to you and your I family. I think, you, I think you, you've saved a lot of lives, you and your family. Um, we'd love to have you, you on so again much. tomorrow night as well, Alyssa. Thank you for this. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. My God, but for uh, Paul Contreras, it is unknown how many people might have been shot in all of this. Just a remarkable, remarkable hero story. That's all the time I have tonight. Thank you for being with us tonight. Um, stay tuned. Cuomo's coming up next.
Hey, I'm Chris Cuomo. How you doing? We have a lot of breaking news. You know what this is, right? It's Ash Wednesday. I just want to be very clear about something, okay? Um, I have a video out about what Ash Wednesday is and all these things and what it means to me on my Substack. You can watch it later tonight. This is not a sign of anything but desperation of trying to be better, okay? I don't believe in people putting their faith on you. It's a choice I make, not one you have to, but this is the custom. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.